0: Would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, your name would be pronounced, promoted, seen, shown uh, in every way here, that the name of Jesus would be uplifted. And I know that can, or at least for me, that can easily be a uh, uh, a church or Sunday school cliche. So I, I pray that the people here would see the name of Jesus uh, truly as who he says he is, and that is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, it is a way to uh, purpose. It is a truth that he and he alone can heal all relationships and relationships amongst uh, groups of people, bringing about reconciliation, bringing about spiritual healing, and that you do give life, and a life that uh, pushes us past contentment or discontentment uh, to find meaning in our our days, uh, in our works, whatever it is you've called us to do. And so I pray that those here that would see all their days in the life that you have given us, uh, as they matter greatly to you, uh, whether you are raising a child like little Elliot or you're a teenager looking forward to college or or you're in your 40s and you're facing a very positive midlife crisis, but uh, just looking for you for direction that all of our, days and our steps are are numbered and planned by you and that you have this purpose and that we could rest in that as you you tell us jesus come to me all who are weary and i will give you rest so let us come to you may we not just lift up your name or sing about you or teach you but may we come to you and simply be and rest in you knowing that you have designs that are even greater than our ideas on our life and we thank you for that we give you the glory and the praise in your name we pray amen Amen. Hey, thank you all. Have a seat. Thank you to our worship team helping lead us. Uh, for those of you who've been here over the last couple Sundays in July, uh, you may know we've taken this month to hear some different voices who have served really as, as teachers, as, as mentors, and as friends uh, to me. Uh, many of you know Brother Nettie Winters. Brother Nettie, go ahead and stand up. Come on, man. Y'all welcome him, though. Please do. Uh, he's here and he's... Uh, keep standing, keep standing, brother. <laughs> and he has a word to share for us. You know, I gave him an introduction a couple weeks ago and uh, he really needs no introduction, but he is... Uh, he's, I'll say this, he's leading Mission Mississippi, which is an effort to bring churches primarily of different, uh, um, different races, different racial backgrounds together uh, for partnership, for conversation, uh, to address needs of this city and this state. Uh, but past that... Uh, His work, his ministry has been recognized uh, and really promoted around the country, so he's been given opportunities to go and speak this summer uh, throughout the country. You may be sharing a little bit about that, but I'm just very thankful for his life, his ministry. Both he and Dolphus Weary have been of uh, profound influence uh, for me, along with, uh, I will say, Dan Hall, who uh, we've been meeting together. In the work they've done, really, you know, the name of this church is Bellwether, and if you don't know... Well, I can tell you that story in a different time or place. But it literally means to set the pace to blaze the trail. And uh, Nettie, uh, Dolphus, uh, and, and Dan, I would add, have really been trailblazers. Blazers. When, when it wasn't necessarily the cool thing to talk about uh, coming together racially for churches, you know, 20, 25 years ago they were doing it at, I will say, significant cost uh, to their reputation and uh, And life at that time in ministry. So, hey, I'm going to say a quick prayer for you, brother, and then we'll get you set, okay? Y'all join me if you'd like to extend a hand over Ned as he brings the word. Heavenly Father, thank you, my friend. Thank you that he just continues to deliver your word. Thank you for how you've used him both in this city and around the country. And I know that you're going to use him this morning. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, amen. Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of this celebration as, as usual. I want you to know that uh, I feel right at home when I come here. Um, from the songs, you sung very, two um, uh, regular songs that we sing on Sunday morning, fill This Room, and uh, Oh you Good, Good God. And I have freedom here. I want you to know that this is a wonderful worship service where the Spirit of God is free. I, I speak around, as John alluded, I speak around the nation, and I speak in a whole lot of different churches, Seventh-day Adventists, um, uh, other churches are, are, are around the state, um, the First Nathering Church, and others that, uh, the Church of God, the Church of God in Christ, and others that I speak in, and sometimes it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And I'm restricted on how the Holy Spirit can use me But when I'm here at Bellwether, it's free. The the freedom, the warmth, the love that you share in in the worship service is just off the chain for me that I can be a part of this great celebration with you. Thank you for allowing me to come uh, uh, to be a part of your celebration service. I know that when I stand here, I, I, I both stand in God's shoes and in John's shoes, so it's a privilege for me to do that and be a part of this great celebration. When I was with you the last time, we talked about the opportunity for outreach. And I'm going to just go to part two with that. You know, uh, we, we were in the 19th chapter of Acts at that time. I know 2021 20, uh, has been preached since that time. We were going to 22 this morning. But I want you to know uh, from the 19th chapter forward to where we are today, Paul had an opportunity to witness for Christ. Really, you know, he had three simple but significant goals when he went into a city or when he was traveling around uh, during his missionary journey, three simple but significant goals. That was to uh, preach Christ, plant churches, and produce Christians. I want to say that again because sometimes we, we get so excited about our little church and, and our denomination and the little thing that we're doing, we forget that the whole reason for our existence is to preach Christ and produce Christians. i say that again because Paul paved the way uh, or was the apostle. And so they planted churches in places where the gospel had never been preached. And and he was a pioneer through that. And so we have churches on every corner, somebody say in Jackson. So we don't really need to plant a church. What we need to do is to produce Christians, preach Christ and produce Christians. So I want to get that in our spirit and in our heart, because as we go from uh, throughout the book of Acts, we'll find that every opportunity Paul had and the other apostles had They wanted to preach Christ and produce Christians. That was the whole essence of of what we do. And so I get the privilege of of running around the state. Today when I leave you, I'll be going to Tupelo. They have a a, a citywide uh, worship service there. That's one of the stops. You're one of the stops today on this celebration of 25 years of grace is greater than race for Mission Mississippi. We've been doing this 25 years, and we're celebrating around the state by visiting, stopping by, uh, preaching, speaking, uh, being a part of civic clubs and others that we can have an opportunity to share with them the Christ in us that has produced uh, this ministry over the last 25 years. It's God that we've been able to do this over 25 years. We don't get government funding. We're not financed through... uh, uh, grants and other things, we are simply maintained and sustained by people of God that decide they want to share in this work by giving of their time and their treasury. That's how we've been able to do this. And I know as a board member of many non organizations, Mission Mississippi have never had the challenges that many other organizations are experienced, including going out of business. We've never experienced being short on On uh, payroll or other things that other organizations have. I'm not bragging now. We still need your gifts now. Don't get carried away and say they got everything they need, which some people see when we do big events, they think that we have. But no, it's simply because of the grace of God, through generous givers, that we've been able to do what we're doing. And so I'm excited about that. This past week, I was in a place called Ocean Park, Maine. Never heard of the place. Didn't even know it existed. I had an opportunity to preach in a in a in the temple there on on the island, on the beach there is is a part of old, Archib Beach and, and that community Ocean Park been around since 1881, and I preached in a building that was built in 35 days with 3,500 dollars in 1881 with a 750 seat capacity and they were hardwood benches and chairs and floor there was no cushions anywhere in the building are y'all listening to me <laughs> and that was that was people from 34 different states from two providence of canada from the united kingdom that uh go to that place every summer to worship and rest and relax and, and, and recreate there on the beach. And they all gave up their time. About 500 of them gave up their time on Sunday morning and came to this place. I don't know whether they came to see this guy from Mississippi. I was walking down the street uh, the Monday afterwards and, 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 the, and the car stopped. The gentleman and his wife jumped out of the car in the middle of the street with the music going. You from Mississippi. I go like, how could you tell? <laughs> and they said, well, you preached yesterday morning. And then they began to give me a whole litany of what they wanted to know, uh, uh, questions about the follow-up to my message, the message is on reconciliation, relationship, relationship from Romans 12. And I talked about how we uh, allow other things to distract us from the main thing, and 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 when when we're under heat, how we get this, we we throw distractions the way, and, and the little lady was really interested in how I voted in the 2016 election, <laughs> and uh, I could tell she was getting impatient, and, and the gentleman, you know, he's going through this thing about the Nicene Creed, and, you know, he's trying to work his way up to, to ask me about Donald Trump, so he's just trying to work his way up, and so finally, she just interrupted him and said, did you vote for Trump? Ooh. <laughs> I said, why, why was that question, and Anyway, we went on and had this long discussion. I guess they're U.S. citizens. They were were living in Toronto, so I get the privilege (laughs) of running around this state and around this nation attempting to share a message. It's simple. The message is simple. Live a life of reconciliation. Living reconciled. We talk about racial reconciliation. We talk about all of those things. And I'm getting to, uh, I know somebody's worried about, well, is he going to get to Acts 22? I'm getting there, man. I'm, I'm on it. We run around we talk about reconciliation. Really? John says something interested in his open thing about the gospel is that if we would just live how we've been called to live, there would be no reason to have racial reconciliation. But there'll be a reason to have, and this is why I get to Acts 22, non-Christians being reconciled unto God. That's our goal. That's our objectivity, is that we live in such a way with one another that we don't have the problem of being divided racially or otherwise. You know, grace changes everything. It changes our attitudes about any aspect of our lives. Grace changes that, and so grace changes everything. So I call this part two. The Opportunity for Outreach, Part 2, The Opportunity for Outreach. In this, Paul had to face three groups. He was facing uh, a, a rioting mob. I'm telling you, he had to face this mob that was actually rioting. You know, this is violent, frantic uh, kind of activity was going on. So much so, listen to this, so much so. Now, he's talking to his people, the Jewish people. They were acting so violently and so ugly the Roman military had to come and rescue him from his own people. Y'all get that? And so if you start in, the, in by midway, somewhere around the 21st verse of the previous chapter, in the 21st chapter talks about he was arrested. And because he was sharing, he went into the temple, what I call... When he was facing that mile, he had to deal with what I call fake news. You know what the fake news is? They said that he had taken some Gentiles into the temple and caused them to defile the temple, which was untrue. And then they made false accusations, saying that he's not only doing that, but he's preaching everything about, against the people, really about the Jewish people. And so they falsely accused him of taking people into the temple, and then they was crying out, come help us, this man is preaching it. No, he wasn't. He was quietly going about the seven-day fast of purification. He really wasn't doing it, so he had to—he had to deal with that mob on this fake news and false allegations. And then, and then, if as you look at the mob, even when the Roman soldiers came, they're trying to figure out what was going on in in that situation. They had the, the false account because when he inquired about what is it so bad about this man that is causing this riot, when the commander did that. One said one thing, one said something else. He couldn't even figure out what was going on because of the people that was riding and, and acting so well and those with his people. Isn't it funny how when your life changes, Christ changes you and you change, that some of the people that's closest to you become distant because of how you are changing. And they are even accuse you of changing, which is accurate and complete. But then, rather than having a positive attitude toward you changing, then they begin to attack you because you have changed. You ain't the same anymore. I remember when I became uh, a preacher back in 1990, some of my closest friends began, first they they laughed for a long time, and then when they got over their laughter, they began to distance themselves from me, calling me conservative and calling me other things because they knew that I was now really uh, excited and was really passionate about this thing. One thing about me that, 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 that I want you to know is that when I was not a Christian, I was passionate about what I was doing. It's okay. You know, you can celebrate that. That's all right. <laughs> you know, all I needed was three minutes notice for a party, right? And I became a Christian, and, you know, I got to have three days or a week or something to plan, you know, but, but before that, I had a passion about what I was doing. And Paul and and Peter and others were the same way. Paul was very zealous about persecuting the church until he met Jesus on the Damascus road. He was passionate about that. But the interesting thing about Paul, when he became a Christian, he was just as passionate and as intense and as intentional for the gospel to go forth as he was before he became a Christian, before he became Paul when he was Saul. He was just intent. Some of us lose some of that zeal and zest we have when we are running for a different reasons and, and doing things for different reasons before we become Christians. We have that. And so Paul finds himself in there. And so when he's facing this mark, he's trying to help them understand his background as a Jewish rabbi. He wanted them to understand that he was raised as a, as a Roman citizen but also that he was educated and trained. And, and, and the commander, I think, was impressed with Paul because Paul was well-educated, and intelligent, and he would speak several different languages. And I'm sure that impressed him with that. And so Paul wasn't just a run-of-the-mill guy as it relates to that. And so he's trying to build his background with his people, help them understand that I have the same background, I had the same training, I was educated the same, my culture and all that I've been a part of was from a Jewish perspective, and that I was doing, the persecuting the church, I was getting them out of the way, those things. I have even held the coat when they stoned Stephen he was talking about all of those things to them about that and then he mentioned a word you know what that word was Gentile they hated the Gentiles so much see part of your series in in, in Acts uh, across this month since I've been here is to do outreach and to touch those who don't know the gospel touch those that are less fortunate than us but also to to deal with this thing of race relations. And so here we are with the Jewish community, the religious crowd of the community, and they wanted to kill Paul to the extent that the Roman military had to come in and rescue him. Then not only did he have to deal with this false news, this fake news, I should say, false accusations, false, uh, uh, false account, but the frantic attack. That's throughout chapter 21 and 22. You'll find that it even goes into chapter 23 about how these things were taking place. And So when you read verses 1 through 23, you'll understand that uh, this fake news, this false accusation, a false account and frantic attack on Paul was not just something that happened to happen. They were after him to kill him. Wow, away with him. Remove him from the earth. And so then he was facing the Roman, not only the, the rioting mob, but he also had to face the Roman military. In verse 24 through 29, it talks about a false arrest, from my perspective, and then a false assumption. They arrested him under false pretense or under false accusation because of what was happening with the Jewish people. And, and, and they wanted, you know, the police and the, and the government is there. To, I believe, in, in my own blessed opinion, is to uh, maintain order, And protect us both inside and outside of our uh, city and, and our world. But, you know, we stretched that some today and I don't have time to go into how out of place government is today. But really, the Roman soldiers had a couple of things in mind is to keep order and keep the peace and keep people from rioting. And so when somebody informed them that was going on in their courtyard, they immediately went in and arrested Paul. And, and you'll know that when he was being, uh, uh, the second time, when, when, and at the beginning of chapter 22, the second time he got arrested, well, because he was trying to, con- again, he was trying to convince his people about his background and about where he came from. Then he talked about what happened to him on the Damascus Road, how he was persecuting Christ, and how he was blinded. Now, he was blinded by the light, but also Paul was blinded by the darkness before he got the light blindness. Are y'all listening to me? He was blinded by the sin and darkness of ignorance in his life because he thought he was helping God. He thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the church. And until he met Jesus on the Damascus road, he says, what is it you would have for me to do? And, and he said, who are you? And asked all those questions. Jesus answered him very simply. I am Jesus Christ, the one that you are persecuting and I have work for you to go to the Gentiles. And he sent him to Ananias, and when Ananias prayed for him, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he was able to see. He was able to see not only from the blind and light, but from the blind and darkness that he had been uh, persecuting the church in. And so when he went before the, the Roman military, uh, first of all, he was, he was arrested, and he shouldn't have been arrested. But then there was a false assumption about him. Because when Paul began to speak in Greek to the, to the Roman commander, he says, aren't you that Greek, that, 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 that Egyptian? And he thought he was some kind of outlaw or criminal or whatever else because he was trying to figure out what have this guy done to cause all of this frantically attack and all this stuff that's going on. And so he, he had to face them, and then he became, uh, they became more favorable toward him when he talked about him being of Roman birth, and so he got an opportunity to do that. And then when the Roman soldiers had interrogated him and did all they could do, they still was unsure about uh, what it was that Paul was being attacked by. And they brought him before the Sanhedrin Council. He had to face the religious leaders. Now, you would think that, number one, that his own people wouldn't attack him in such a way that the military would have to rescue him. And number two, you would think that when he got before the Sanhedrin Council, certainly they would have been in favor of taking care of him, right? Well, it became a frightening situation. If you read on into Acts 23, you'll find it. From my perspective, it became a frightening situation because the commander says, if we don't get him out of here, they would literally put him apart. And it was, it, it was a frightening situation and circumstance because when Paul began to witness to them or, or try to give his testimony or try to present his argument... The high priest had him hit over the mouth because he says, my conscience is clear. You know, I'm kind of like the high priest, you know. You've been persecuting the church and doing all these other things. How you think your conscience is clear? Because Paul and his ignorance believed that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing and that he was doing it on behalf of God. He was sincerely in what he was doing. He was sincerely about that. But then he had this experience on the Damascus growth, which changed all of that. And then he had to face them and in this frightening situation, Paul says, I believe in the resurrection. And that caused them, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, to become divided. And they were so torn between... I'm telling you, everywhere Paul went, he would cause these miraculous fights. But I'm telling you, the council was at each other's throat. So, so much so, the Romans had to, again, protect him by taking him to the barracks. And so, in all of this... In all of this, I just want to let you know, to sum this up, Paul discovered four things. Here's what he discovered as he he was on this missionary journey. He discovered four things. When he gives his testimony, I guess I should read, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shined around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me in these saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me so I said what shall I do Lord and the Lord said to me arise and go to, into Damascus and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do and since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hands of those who were with me I came into Damascus then a certain Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good testimony with the Jews who dwelt there came to me and he stood and said to me brother Saul receive your sight And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our Father has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, uh, while are you waiting, arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of Jesus. Paul gives his testimony in chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26 in Acts, and then in Philippians and Ephesians, you'll find some more about his testimony. Paul talked about how he was before he met Jesus. He talked about how he met Jesus, and how he changed out of the results of meeting Jesus. And so in that, I sum it up like this. Paul discovered the Lord. He discovered Jesus Christ, and discovered that he was in opposition to the one that he thought he was with. Then, when Paul met Jesus, as I did, and as you have, I'm sure, when I met Jesus, not only did I discover, discover Jesus, but I discovered Nettie Ray. I discovered all the things about me and about my action, my attitude, my total being, that for the first time in my life, I realized what a sinner I was and how. I needed Christ in my life. That's what Paul discovered. And then Paul discovered a third thing. That third thing he discovered was the church. When he went to Damascus, the very people that he was persecuting had to pray for him, encourage him, teach him, and love him, and he discovered the church. And there are people in your circle of influence who need to discover Christ, need to discover themselves, Needed need to discover the church. Well, our actions and our attitude and our conduct does that. Then the fourth thing Paul discovered was that he discovered the Gentiles. He discovered that God the Father loved the Gentiles just as much as he loved the Jews and that he'd called Paul to carry that message. Him being a Jew, the tribe of Benjamin, and all of these credentials and things, you read about it in, in Philippians, the third chapter, he, he lays it out for us. In all of that, Paul said, I count it rubbish for the calling of Christ. Have you made these discoveries about yourself, about the Lord, about the church, and about people that are different from you? When Paul discovered those things, he became very intense and very intentional about sharing the good news of the gospel. God bless you and God keep you.
0: Amen.